Welcome to the Defence Forces podcast brought to you by the Defence Forces Public Relations Branch. Hello and welcome to the Irish Defence Forces podcast. My name is Captain Kean Clancy and today we're speaking to Commandant Mick Barco, Officer Commanding 104 Squadron, which is the new home of our new PC-12 aircraft that has recently come into service and is the subject of this episode. Welcome on sir, thanks for coming on. Thanks very much, Keen, for uh, inviting me along today. Uh, it's great to meet you again. You were a former press officer for the Air Corps, so we would have worked together in the past. I was indeed, yeah. In yeah. A different, you, can, you, just can't, you can't get out of the spotlight. I can't. You keep chasing me. <laughs> <laughs> so, just I suppose for the people at home, and we always go through a bit of the career background of the people that we're, in, we're interviewing. So, how long have you been in the Air Corps? Yeah, so uh, I joined the Air Corps in 2007. Previous to that, I had just completed a, um, a degree in mechanical engineering in DIT, and uh, I had actually moved over to New York and I'd gotten a job over there and uh, in, in parallel I'd applied for the Air Corps and uh, I got a call in to say that uh, I'd made it so um, we stay in New York didn't last very long and uh, I came back then um, and I, I would have joined in September um, 2007. Right and that seems like a big change around you up sticks and come straight back um, and was it always an ambition to become a pilot? Yeah, it was. I, I grew up in um, I grew up in uh, Dublin, and just over the house that I grew up in would have been the approach paths to one of the runways here in Baltimore. So, uh, I suppose throughout the years, I would have constantly seen Air Corps aircraft uh, coming into land. Um, so, uh, my interest was sparked from a very young age, and then I was always into the outdoors and the scouts, things like that. So. I mean, joining the military was an obvious choice then. Yeah, and so you did your cadetship and. After your cadetship, where did you go then, or where, how, where did your career led you? Yeah, so I did my cadetship. I um, I got my commission and wings in 2010, and uh, my first posting was 104 Squadron as a, a lieutenant, and back then we were flying Cessnas. I flew in 104 Squadron then for uh, approximately a year, and then I went and I did a course uh, on the CASA. And I was lucky enough then, uh, once I qualified on the CASA, I got the opportunity to fly both the Cessna and the CASA, and I did that for a number of years until around 2013. And then I spent a bit of time then in a different unit while also flying the CASA. And then in 2015 then, I did my flight instructor's course. So I went back to the flying school and instructing cadets on their wings courses, uh, flying the PC-9. And uh, recently, obviously then, I've uh, I've transferred onto the uh, the PC-12. So that was it, kind of, I suppose, from a flying perspective. But along the way, uh, I've done several staff jobs. So uh, I would have spent a year down in the strategic planning branch in the Department of Defence in Newbridge. Mm-hmm. And then straight from there, then, I came back into the press job for approximately 18 months. And I would have worked with you closely uh, yeah, yeah. and your colleagues over the years. So, uh, yeah, I, I suppose I've been lucky in the sense that I've got to experience very different facets of the Defence Forces. A kind of very varied career, career but, a, but a circular kind of trajectory as well, because you started in 104 Squadron, and now you find yourself back in, in 104 Squadron. So I suppose, kind of moving on, like 104 Squadron, as you mentioned originally, when, I don't know if it originally, but the last aircraft that it contained was, was Cessna. So what, what was the role of the Cessna in, in, in the squadron? Yeah, so um, I took over 104 Squadron last August, and uh, I suppose I was quite privileged and l- lucky to take over the squadron then because we were still actually flying Cessnas. The Cessnas were, were, were still de- down from service in October last year, um, and that was after 47 years of service. And traditionally, what the Cessnas would have been used for, and a lot of Air Corps pilots throughout the years would have cut their teeth in this aircraft, is that uh, they would have u- been used for, essentially, surveillance, especially on, say, cash, uh, cash and transits or you know explosive escorts, 
Uh, they would have been used for parachute jumping over the years, drogue towing, which is an interesting one actually. So it's where it's where you effectively tow uh, a big windsock around a kilometre behind the aircraft. And the army use it for target practice. So they use their air to ground weapons and, or sorry, their ground to air, should I say. And they fire at the drogue. So yeah, it was interesting and I suppose a privilege then to be um, OC-104 squadron when, when, when those aircraft were retired from service in October last year. Yeah. Yeah, so like it, it's interesting you mentioned the cash and transit like that. That's eight to civil eight to civil power um, operations basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and, Okay, and so you, uh, the Cessna was stood down in October twenty nineteen, and at what point did it become apparent that the PC twelve was going to come into the squadron? Yeah, so um, I suppose concurrently to this, a contract had been signed in December twenty seventeen for I suppose the replacement of the Cessna aircraft uh, with a more capable utility aircraft. So in parallel to, I suppose, uh, managing 104 Squadron, I was also heavily involved in the project team. So there was a full project team associated with regard to the actual PC-12 project, and that compromised of uh, technicians, engineers, pilots, and CIS personnel. The project is still ongoing, even though the four aircraft have landed in uh, Baldomo. So there would have been a lot of coordination along the way. I suppose the thing about the PC-12s that we have is that they're, they're not an off-the-shelf aircraft. So just to give you a very quick anecdote, you know, it takes it takes three months to build a PC-12. But then in addition to that, then ours are bespoke and fitted out with various types of equipment. And it, it takes nearly two years actually then to modify them the way that we want them to work. Um, so, you know, it's quite a it's, it's quite a long project and uh, there's a lot of different parties involved. So over the last couple of years, we would have spent a lot of time um, coordinating with the manufacturer, which is Pilatus. And we would have spent a lot of time uh, traveling over and back to Switzerland and over and back to the States yeah. uh, as part of the uh, testing and evaluation phase. So there's a lot of testing, especially you mentioned a lot of testing going on in Colorado. Yeah, so the aircraft were uh, were based over in Colorado for um, a duration of time. And that's effectively where the airplanes were taken from, basically where they were changed from a standard PC-12 that you might see out there to uh, a PC-12 that meets the requirements that we need. Exactly. So, so mm. the point being that these aircraft are tailored to the Irish Air Corps and, and, the, and the requirements that the Irish Air Corps put out to say, we want an aircraft to do X, Y, and Z. But I suppose for, pe- for people at home, um, what, what, what does a PC-12 look like? Is in what, what are its basic characteristics? Yeah, so, I mean, a PC-12 is a, um, I suppose, it's a, it's a relatively light to medium aircraft. It's, um, it can take nine passengers in the rear. Okay, so um, it's not the biggest aircraft in the world, but at the same time, it can still carry nine passengers or a ton and a half of cargo. Mm-hmm. It's a single-engine airplane as well, and it's fitted one of the most reliable engines in the world. So it's a it, it's a Pratt and Whitney uh, PT6. What's what I suppose really interesting that I find and significant about the aircraft is that it can cruise up at thirty thousand feet, and when you're going into international airports, it can fly at speeds where you, where you keep up with airliners. But then at the same time, then. You can actually, the aircraft is capable of landing in a semi-prepared strip or a, a grass strip in a very, very short uh, space. So it's quite unique actually to have an aircraft that can carry such a, a heavy payload for its size mm-hmm. that can cruise up at 30,000 feet and then go and land in a, in a small grass strip. So that's exactly the type of aircraft that the Defence Forces needs. So it's just versatility. And I think you mentioned at the top of this part of the podcast like that you were looking for an air, like a multi-role aircraft. And this sounds exactly like that that kind of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the PC-12s that we have, um, there's, I suppose, three mission sets that we see it carrying out. 
Uh, the first one being what we call military transport flights. So that's very simple. It's basically the passage of um, cargo or personnel. And as I said, we can carry nine passengers in the rear of the aircraft or we can carry up to um, nearly a tonne and a half of cargo. The second role that we see it is what we call ISR, which is Intelligence, Surveillance and Reconnaissance. The third role that we have it fitted out for is an air ambulance role. So each aircraft is fitted with a life port system. And those life port systems are already in use in the Air Corps. So we have them on the, um, the AW139, the CASA and the Learjet. And effectively what a life port system is, is it's a stretcher unit, okay, which is able to take power from the aircraft and that can power essential medical equipment or oxygen in order to keep uh, patients stable while they're in transit. Okay. We, might, we might go into those kind of potential roles in a bit more detail a little bit further on, but as regards kind of range of the aircraft as well, mm-hmm. I know we're going to go into some of the operations that the aircraft's been involved in mm-hmm. later on in the podcast, but like what kind of range on a, on, a, on a tank of fuel are we talking about? It varies depending on the environmental conditions with regard to headwinds and with regard to the actual payload you're carrying. But roughly, I mean, if you're carrying, say, um, a tonne of payload, uh, you'd be able to fly it uh, roughly around 1,500 nautical miles. So in lay terms, that's around 2,800 kilometres. Okay. Yeah. So we want to talk a bit about the operations that the PC-12 has been involved in thus far. But I think it's important to note that the COVID-19 pandemic has actually had an effect on the aircraft coming into service. Yeah, that's correct, Keen. Um The initial contract that was signed was for three PC-12 aircraft. They were delivered last month. So there's no plan to have four PC-12s originally. And when COVID, I suppose, broke out in uh, February and March this year, the entire, I suppose, worldwide network with regard to air transport and travel, I suppose, reduced significantly. And what most people don't realise is that is is that most cargo that's transported around the world is actually done on passenger flights. It's actually done in the whole of the aircraft. So when passenger flights reduced, the actual ability for an awful lot of organisations logistically to send personnel or cargo overseas reduced as well so what was recognized uh, by the defense forces and the department of defense was that this may have an impact on the defense forces and the ability for the defense forces then to actually uh, resupply their personnel overseas so it was identified very quickly that one of i suppose the most efficient ways to actually secure that capability would be to procure an additional pc-12 and that was done in, in a very, very short space of time by um, a very, very hard-working team. So I think it was approximately 13 days from the time that the aircraft was decided to be bought from the time it landed here. Now, we were in a very lucky and unique position as well. By pure coincidence, we had a PC-12 training aircraft with a, uh, with a, with a company pilot here at the end of February, right up until uh, St. Patrick's Day. And a number of personnel within the squadron were actually flying that aircraft so the currency of the pilots in the squadron was actually very high. What that meant was that when the aircraft landed on, uh, at the start of April, it meant that those who needed to be current were current. And it, mean, it meant that in a very short space of time, then uh, we became operational very quickly. Right. And so one of the things that we were kind of talking about before we started recording was the number of questions that you're getting as regards this extra PC-12 that the Air Corps have acquired. Um, because it's white. Now, Air Corps aircraft are normally uh, they're normally a grey colour with, with, with the Irish Air Corps insignia and the Defence Forces mm-hmm. insignia on it. Why, why, is, why is this extra PC-12 white? Just to put any, any concerns of any yeah. aircraft enthusiasts out there to base. Yeah, that's right. There, there is a huge amount of interest, actually, with regard to the, the paint scheme on 280. I suppose typically when you order an airplane, uh, it takes quite a while for 
the manufacturer to actually make the airplane and deliver it to you. We were actually quite lucky that a, a different customer had cancelled an order. Uh, so what it meant was that um, tail number 280, which is white, was actually sitting in the factory to manufacture and, and they, they had no home for it to go to. So when we inquired uh, about an additional PC-12, they actually had one there ready to go. Now, we didn't have the time because of COVID. We didn't have the time to, uh, to respray the aircraft into a standard paint scheme. Uh, what was more important for us was actually just standing up the capability. So uh, we took delivery uh, of the aircraft in the, um, the original customer's uh, paint scheme and that's the way we've been flying it around since. So it has, it has gotten quite a lot of attention and to be honest with you, it is quite unusual when you land at an airport and you jump out then in a military flying suit and they look at the paint scheme and the aircraft and they look at you saying, is that a military aircraft? But uh, I suppose what's important is is that you know it's the capability uh, as opposed to how the aircraft looks. And once things get a little bit quieter, maybe next year, and we have the ability to actually take 280 offline and respray it, we will. But for now, it's important that we keep it flying and that we keep um, we keep doing the jobs that we're tasked to do. Because of how busy the, the squadron has been and how, how, how much the PC-12 is in demand, so it's not the cosmetic aspect of it for now, it's actually getting the job done. No, it's not, it's not. Um, and since April, really, the squadron, we've hit the ground running. Uh, we've done quite a lot of operations uh, and we're continuing to do quite a lot of operations as well um, over the spectrum. So, um, yeah, next year, I suppose, we'll have a look at the aesthetics of the aircraft and, yeah. and, and make it match the other three. So, it's immediately into operations on acquisition of the aircraft. So, we, we spoke a bit about the capabilities, but the versatility of the aircraft means that there's a modular system inside. And it's something that I wanted to kind of mention before. Um, so, like, you, you, can, you can change out different suites within the aircraft to do different things, like putting in... Putting in um, as you mentioned before, the um, air ambulance and the, and the medical side of it, but also like um, cargo side of it and trans personnel transport side of it as well. Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, the, the PC-12 is actually uh, very versatile and it, it is a multi-role aircraft. And like most aircraft, the Air Corps-wise, it has to be multi-role just because of the size of the organisation and the flexibility um, that, that we need to have as an organisation. So um, you can either, I mean, you can put nine passenger seats in the back you can go half and half, where you go half passenger seats, half cargo, where you put up some cargo nets in the aircraft to make sure everyone's safe. You can very quickly then take all the seats out and put in the uh, mission suite for the um, ISO equipment. And then you can remove that then and you can put in your life port system, which again is connected to the aircraft. So within the space of a couple of hours then, you can actually uh, reconfigure the aircraft to whatever role you need it to be, uh, which is great. Um, because it really offers a lot of flexibility to us and it offers a lot of flexibility then to our typical customers, whether you know it's the Army or whether it's the HSE or whoever it is. And uh, to go into that kind of variability of roles from, a, from an actual incident sense, the first operation you had to do was an air ambulance? That's correct, yeah. Um, within, I suppose, three weeks of having the aircraft, we uh, had to do a air ambulance flight. It was a medical repatriation uh, from Germany. So, I mean... Uh, from the squadron's perspective, it was actually great to be able to do an operation in such a short space of time. But again, it was only because we were in such a fortunate position that everybody was current that meant that, that, that we were able to do that flight. And then after that, then we continued on. And I'm sure uh, most of the listeners know we had been bringing COVID test samples over to Germany, uh, which were obviously very interesting flights. And it actually felt great to be able to do something like that. It actually felt as if you are contributing significantly to the overall effort. So it was a joint effort, really, from a, a lot of personnel. Obviously, the Joint Task Force in town had coordinated 
our own transport section here. We're responsible for actually going to the lab and picking the samples up. They transport them out to the aircraft. Uh, our technicians would load the aircraft and secure the load, and then we, we'd, we'd fly it over to Germany. So it was really a big team effort. Most flights could take, I suppose, three big boxes of test samples, and each box could take up to a maximum of 6,000 samples. So when you think about that, we could carry up to a maximum of 18,000 samples in one flight. So quite significant. That is a huge amount of samples, yeah. yeah. And, and as regards the frequency of flights, then you were kind of... At certain different points, obviously the tempo varied, but there, there was very, very high tempo at a certain period. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know... It, the frequency of flights, I suppose, match the um, I suppose match the cases that you're, you're kind of reading about in the news. So when you know the cases began to get high, our flights would start up again, uh, and then when they kind of lulled, there was no requirement to send the um, the test samples abroad. You know, we were just able to meet the demand as as it um, as it popped up. But in addition to that, then I suppose some some other interesting jobs that we've done since the PC12 has arrived is that uh, we've done um, resupply flights over the Kosovo. You know, and you know that's a very good demonstration, and it's it's even very good for us in the squadron, even just to be able to, I suppose, figure the aircraft out and and, and test its range, depending on what payloads are carrying, and to land somewhere unfamiliar to us. So we 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 would have done resupply flights over the Kosovo. And for people at home, then that's just for the for the yeah, United Nations mission in Kosovo that the defence forces are involved in. That's um, right, yeah. For, for people that might realise, yeah. Yeah. And then, in addition to that, then uh, we've um, we've done a troop rotation in and out of Western Sahara, which is a very interesting one as well. Um, it was my first time ever flying down to Africa personally, so um, that was a that was a very interesting flight. And again, it was great to uh, I suppose to be able to utilise the asset and to you know support the army in that sense for uh, their troops that were overseas. And yeah, we've 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 done various other flights. We've done several air ambulance flights to mainland Europe and the UK. Uh, and um, other support flights with the aircraft too. Yeah, um, I suppose to go back to the troop rotation aspect of it, it does demonstrate the utility of having the capability of rotating troops from an, yeah. from an environment. I think that's, I mean, particularly since um, COVID has hit, that's been particularly important. I mean, unfortunately, as everyone has seen, that um, access to air travel has significantly reduced. There's a lot of airliners going out there um, that are going out of business and we can see the likes of our own airlines, such as Aer Lingus or Ryanair, they really uh, have been constrained with the actual with the amount of flights that they're putting on. So as I said, that's had a significant impact on not just personnel movements, but on cargo as well. So for me, it really highlights the importance of the defence forces having the, I suppose, organic ability to have a logistics supply there where we can move our own personnel and our own cargo around. Obviously, the PC-12, not going to roll a tank into the back of it, but um, it, as I said, it can carry a ton and a half of cargo, and it's a very good demonstration of how important it is to yeah, be able to of do course. it. And, and it has a track record of, of success of successfully rotating. It does, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's great, and um, as I said, the arrival of 280 as well was also a great training and preparation for all the squadron personnel, for all the maintenance personnel, before we got the delivery of the additional three grey aircraft. We talked before about 104 Squadron having to kind of revolutionise itself basically and, and totally change how it, how it is focused with the advent of the PC-12. And we, like, can you give us a bit more on that as in the differences for the squadron in having the Cessna versus now having the PC-12 from a, from a kind of a personal point of view and a, the point of view of maintaining these aircraft? Yeah, absolutely keen. Uh, I mean, 
I suppose significant changes have had to happen in the squadron. We've, we've gone from uh, traditionally what would be a very young squadron in the sense that a lot of uh, guys or girls that, that finished their wings course would traditionally go straight to 104 squadron, just like I did. And you'd go off and do missions by yourself, uh, maybe with a signal man in the back, and uh, you'd be the commander for the day. And in relative terms, the Cessna was you know, quite a simple aircraft, and you could only really fly it when the weather was um, you know, relatively good. Whereas now, um, you know, the PC-12 is, is a completely different aircraft. It's a, what we call a multi-crew aircraft. So what you traditionally have is a, is a more experienced pilot as the aircraft captain, uh, a more inexperienced pilot, I suppose, as a co-pilot. It's a day-night aircraft, so it can operate any time of the day or night, and it can operate in all types of weather that you see, uh, which is obviously perfect for the environment that we operated in. The squadron, I suppose, has become more mature. Um, we've had to put more processes and procedures in place. And we've had to grow because as opposed to each aircraft now only taking one pilot to flight, it now takes two pilots. And in addition to that, it takes, you know, um, rear crew as well to look after the mission system in the back of the aircraft or the live port. So that's, I suppose, the change within the squadron. And I suppose what's important to note is the changes that have had to happen outside the squadron. Because a lot of the time when, when people see an airplane, unfortunately, most of the time they, they might just think of the pilots. But... Uh, the pilots are only a small percentage of the overall team efforts that it takes to get that aircraft in the air. So you probably know that I said earlier on, I said the project's not over yet, even though the four aircraft are here. Um, what I meant by that is, yes, the four aircraft are here, but there's still a huge amount of training and upskilling to happen. So just as an example, from an aircraft technician's perspective, just like a pilot, each aircraft technician has to do a specific course in an aircraft type. So we have our technicians where their area of expertise is the engine and the airframe, and they all have to be trained. And then we have other technicians, and their expertise are avionics, which is just like the electronics in the aircraft, and they have to do certain courses. And then we've uh, maintainers who look after the emission system in the aircraft, and again, they, they all have to be trained up too. So it takes a massive team effort to get the aircraft in the air. We have um, a huge involvement from um, CIS, which is the Communication Information Squadron. Obviously, air traffic services, fire crew, cooks, technicians, pilots, there's, I'm sure I've probably left out loads of people there, but there's a huge team effort to actually get these aircraft airborne and to actually keep them in the air and to make sure that the aircraft is uh, serviceable. So what I mean by that is, is that the aircraft works when you want it to work. Yeah. So yeah, no, unfortunately as, uh, as pilots, we probably get far too much credit for the work that we do. Uh, we haven't, we haven't actually done an episode yet on say aircraft technicians or, yeah. or, or that kind of thing, but you, you mentioned like that, like there's, there's several different kind of streams of people that are like people that are involved for like the engine and the airframe and then pe- people that are that do the electronics and the IT on board and all yeah. that kind of thing yeah and it's um it's I suppose it's incredible the the trust that you build up between these technicians and the pilots so um we 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 count on these guys and girls so much every time we walk to an aircraft we're counting on their professionalism and we're counting on, on their sense of responsibility to make sure that they send us off in an aircraft that they'd be happy to go flying in themselves so it's great. I mean, I can already see it around the place. The morale has increased in the wing. Everybody's excited about these aircraft. There's very good working relationships between the pilots and the technicians and the ground crew, whether it's like the refuelers or the ramp crew. And um, yeah, no, it's a, very, it's a very exciting time. So yeah, it's great. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And like as regards, say, when you're actually flying, so you've two pilots, and also, also, what's kind of an average crew in the back? I know there's different modular roles, like, but yeah. 
So no, no, that's an interesting one because it does change. So with regard to if we're doing a military transport flight, we can just fly with two pilots on board and that's it and the passengers would receive a brief from one of the pilots. If we're doing an air ambulance flight, what you, what you would typically have is two pilots on board. You would have a, a rear crew personnel and what I mean by that is you know, somebody who's who's uh, qualified to look after passengers in the rear because, as you can imagine, if you have a, a patient on a stretcher and you have a doctor and a nurse on board and maybe a medical technician took after the medical equipment, you have quite a large amount of personnel on board. And what you want is, in case of uh, an emergency where we had to do an emergency landing, you want to be able to, I suppose, assist people in vacating the aircraft and the pilots, you know, they might not be in a position to do that if they're busy in the front of the aircraft. You want someone who's with operating inside an aircraft to help other other technically technically qualified people. Exactly, yeah. Just know how to operate emergency exits. Know when you leave the aircraft. Obviously, don't run towards the front of the aircraft because there might be a propeller spinning around there that you mightn't see. So yeah. things like that, you know, because once the adrenaline kicks in, sometimes people can lose, um, I suppose, their situational awareness of where to go or where it's sensible to go. And I suppose when, when the mission equipment is in the aircraft, then there would be a couple of operators in the back of the aircraft operating that too. Yeah, okay. Well, it, it's it's just an interesting one because, as you said there, people typically think of, of an aircraft and they think of the people that are flying the aircraft, but there's a whole community of people, as, as you mentioned, who, who need to be there to make this machine actually operate. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, from our perspective, obviously... We have the the aircraft technicians, but even even things that you wouldn't think of, like the refuelers, the air traffic controllers, CIS, um, which is which is our IT, yeah. you know. Um, what 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 we're starting to see now, and I suppose it's the first, but it's the way that things are going to go forward, is that aircraft require a lot more IT support now than they traditionally would have. You know, obviously I'm a I'm a CASA pilot or a PC9 pilot, and I've flown other aircraft, and they're all quite, I suppose, analog aircraft in the sense that. You know, uh, what you see is what you get, essentially, whereas as aircraft become more modern and there's more, uh, I suppose, software integration, it requires a little bit more behind the scenes work from um, from an IT perspective as well. That's an interesting one to, to mention because we, we do see the same thing in, in podcasts we've done previously with the Nail Service, for mm-hmm. example, that they're always talking about how um, ships are becoming more and more electronic and computer based and, and the whole kind of idea of, of, of a mechanical machine that you can just like like twist a wrench or something or, or replace a part and it's working fine it's it's becoming less and less and now you need people that are much more electronically qualified and software qualified to, to actually ensure these things run the way they're supposed to run absolutely yeah and i think you know as as an organization as we start to get new hardware into the organization i think that's something that we're going to have to adapt in the future to ensure that you know that we get the most out of the new assets that we do get um but i mean look everybody can see it in every in everyday life um you know, I have an Amazon Alexa at home and uh, I just talk to Alexa and the music goes on or I talk to Alexa and the light bulb goes off or I can order something and it comes the next day. So I just think it's the way um, evolution is taking place, really. Yeah, yeah the, way things are, yeah, the way things are going. I suppose we're kind of coming to the end of, of, of the episode, but one major question that we haven't asked yet and that people at home are probably really interested in, what is the aircraft actually like to, to fly? Yeah, it's a, pro- probably an important one, all right. Um you know, it's an absolutely fantastic aircraft. So I suppose, I mean, fundamentally with regard to the physical characteristics of flying it, for for the size of the aircraft, it's actually quite agile and, um, you know, it can travel at a nice speed. So from that perspective, it's quite nice to fly. I remember when I started to learn how to fly the aircraft, something that I was, I suppose, a bit intimidated by initially was just how modern the cockpit was and the avionics. And it was my first time ever sitting in a cockpit where, where we had a mouse ball and a clicker 
you know, to as, go as in like a kind of a an actual mouse ball fitted to the um, central pedestal in between the two pilots. Okay. So there's four big screens in the cockpit, and you basically move from screen to screen, and there's various sub menus on the screens, and uh, you have to work your way through the sub menus. So initially, when I was flying the aircraft, my the thing I had to work on most was to forget about the information there that I didn't need for that level of experience that I had and just concentrate and flying it. And then as I got more comfortable, then I'd start to feed in more information into my scan. So, uh, yeah, thankfully now I figured it out. But <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> as, yeah. as the commanding yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, it's a great aircraft, very modern. Uh, gives the pilot a huge amount of situational awareness. And what I mean by that is, you know, where you are at the time, what options you have available you know where you're going to be in the next 20 minutes of the flight and what yeah. other options you have available there um so no it's a fabulous aircraft from that perspective fantastic mm. so at the end of that there's an excellent window there into this new piece of equipment and its utility to the defense forces thanks a million for coming on to the show sir much appreciated no problem keen and uh, thanks for inviting me onto the show and uh, it was great to chat to you again and i hope um, as well as your listeners i hope they have a better understanding of what this equip- piece of equipment will do now um, not just for the defense forces but for the greater public out there Wonderful, yeah. For further information on the Irish Defence Forces, check out our social media platforms at military.ie. Serving members are also encouraged to visit the members area on military.ie. Today's episode was produced by Corporal Keith Harrison of the Defence Forces Audiovisual School. The Irish Defence Forces podcast is available for download on Spotify, iTunes, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back soon with a new episode. To everyone out there, thanks for listening and stay safe.